one of the one of the big cons that comes out of uh, mediation services sometimes, depending on the type, is that end result. Is hey, is what you're getting as an end product worth the value that you paid into it, or are you just having to double the work? Because some of those end results that I get as not as a mediator but as counsel uh, can sometimes require me to take it all apart and rebuild it right from the ground up, which then is basically, other than the, the back and forth between the parties, is basically paying twice for the same service. It's like, why did, why did you spend, why did this person, the mediator, whomever, the service, whatever it is, spend, you know, 10 hours writing something that I'm now going to have to spend, you know, another five or six hours recreating? Um, so that, that can, when you're looking at the end result, that can definitely be a con, uh, but because of the type of practice I have and what I do regularly in my legal practice, I'm able to, to provide uh, people with that end result. to Justice. I'm your host, Heather Malarek of Merrick Law. My co-host is Evan Clark of Kahane Law. We're joined today by our very special guest, Kim McDonald of McDonald Advisory. Kim's a financial advisor and insurance advisor with Raymond James Limited. We're a Canadian podcast with a mission to educate Canadians about the law. We interview experts in law, mental health, and finance, focusing on topics that create the greatest barriers to entry into the justice system. You can find us on YouTube, on our A2J podcast channel, and online at a2jpodcast.com. Evan and Kim, I have such a treat for you today. I would like to welcome today's guest, Jim Taylor. Jim's a partner at Taylor Ray uh, LLP. He got his law degree from the University of Alberta in 2012. He's a collaborative family lawyer, a practicing mediator with the Alberta Family Mediation Society. And um, this is a little tidbit that I didn't know. He contributed to the 2012 and the 2020 Alberta Fa Family Practice Law Manual. Um, I think like me, he's a recovering litigator. And although we don't look alike, we actually sort of have twin histories because we both lived and taught Ingl English in Taiwan. And we both both like to practice Wing Chun Kung Fu. So weird little connection. Anyway, welcome, Jim. Yay! I'm so excited yes. to see you. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. How how's everybody doing today? I didn't even ask you guys how you were doing, Kim and Evan. I usually do. I'm being so rude. Sorry. <laughs> well, I'm uh, my mind's a little bit blown right now. I didn't know that you were a follower of Ipman. Um, so yep. that's pretty cool. I just yep. learned about him from the Ip Man movies. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, which is great. No, it's, uh, you know, weather's doing what it does. And uh, I seem to always like to talk about that at the beginning of the podcast. So I thought I'd throw that in there. <laughs> and um, yeah, I'm doing, otherwise I'm doing well. How about you, Kim? Well, I mean, I'm really excited. Jim's here to today, but Heather promised us to treat, and I was thinking maybe she was going to deliver donuts to our houses, uh, and we could just go get these treats to eat while this podcast is filming, so I, I'm not going to lie, I'm a little disappointed that I'm, I'm not getting a, a, an edible treat, but Jim, we're excited to have you here today, and you gave us a little nugget before we jumped on here yeah. that you do, you have a special talent in front of people, in front of audiences. You want to tell us a bit about that? Sure. I, I don't sure it's a current talent anymore because it's been out of practice for a while. Uh, but I used to be a, a fairly involved improv player, and I was on two different teams who won uh, Asian championships. Awesome. Well, we're going to yes and right through <laughs> this next hour. <laughs> this whole thing is just play the game of questions the whole time. Everything must be a question. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Isn't that the way all of these podcasts are run? I don't know why they wouldn't be. <laughs> ah, you lose. Well, that was a question, wasn't it? <laughs> 
Um, so you're here to talk to us today about mediation. So um, really excited to talk about that. We've been working our way through different, um, I guess, alternative ways of resolving disputes. But um, maybe we can start out, uh, if you don't mind, just kind of explaining to the folks that are listening, what is mediation? Sure. Uh, and actually, that's a pretty involved question, believe it or not, because mediation is basically just one of those types of alternative dispute resolutions that people can make use of where they're hiring uh, usually uh, some sort of family professional to sit there and help them understand one another. Um, it's done on the same basis as like collaborative family law and stuff like that, where it's an interest-based negotiation where what you do is you look beyond the positions. You say, okay, what do you want? But not so much why, what do you want, but why do you want it? What need mm -hmm. does it satisfy? Because if you can help parties satisfy their needs or even understand their needs, they're much better able to come to a resolution between themselves. The big thing about mediation, and uh, years ago when I first started looking into this, I, I was in a training where uh, the person teaching us said, lots of people think of a mediator as an unbiased third party, which is fair. But there's a whole other take on it where you can consider a mediator as a biased third party. And the reason they're a biased third party is I'm going to use Evan and Kim as examples. If I'm trying to understand something from Evan's point of view, I'm sort of biasing myself to Evan's point of view to be able to empathize with it and to be able to understand it in a way that I can help Evan create a situation where now Kim is understanding what he's saying or where he's coming from. And I'm doing the same thing when I check in with Kim and I'm trying to understand things from her point of view so that I can help her relay that understanding to Evan. Um, it's, it's done so that parties are able to keep the control of the decisions in their own hands. That's at the essence of mediation is for people to say, especially family mediation, is for people to be able to say, look, we have children together. We have property together or some variation thereof. Uh, we may have support payments of some sort, but aside from what the uh, legislation requires us to do, this is within our power to control all of these decisions. Mediation gives them that without prejudice or that safe place to be able to talk about all those issues and decide those issues in the best way for their practical viewpoints in the future, like their, what their family needs. Um, and that's that's kind of how it differentiates itself from the court system is that mediation says or and it and or collaborative family law says, hey, what is it that you guys want to do that makes your family work better? Whereas the litigation sphere tends to work on the premise of, OK, if you guys aren't going to look at this like, you know, adults, we're going to decide for you based on what we think is in the best interest of your children or what mm -hmm. we think is the most you know cut in the middle or reasonable outcome here with no care whatsoever as to what the parties think is the best solution or the most practical solution for them going forward and lastly i'd say that mediation really keeps in mind the future if it's done correctly okay and there are a number of types of services available today where I have, I have an issue with how they do it. Um, but if it's done correctly, mediation does not just take into consideration the now. It looks at what happens a year from now, what happens two years from now, what happens five years from now. You have a two-year-old child. What happens 16 years from now when that child is going to a high school graduation? Because if parties can plan for that and they can find that resolution between themselves, then they have that safety, they have that contract agreement, whatever, that they can look back on and rely on to say, this is what we've decided to do. When we were going through the most emotional point of our lives, we were able to decide this together because we thought the long-term consequences out. We decided that this was what was best for us and our family, and now we're action. So, I mean, that sounds like a lot of stuff that people need to cooperate on. So, like, do people need to be friendly and get along to go to mediation? Because it sounds like these are some pretty important conversations and that they, you know, that you'd have to be like on the same page to mm. for this to work. Absolutely not. No, it's, it's something, it's helpful. It can save time and money if they are. Okay. Um, but one of the first steps in mediation is to actually ask them their goals or what they, you know, where they're trying to go and stuff like that. And to see where the parties actually align versus where they're different. Uh, people, even when they're filled with the most amount of emotion and anger with one another, mm -hmm. are often in some alignments with some things. And it's just helping them with that. But 
when they come into like some mediations, there's even a type of mediation called shuttle mediation. It's generally where they're in different rooms and the mediator transfers between the rooms. Generally, far more costly and not usually, in my opinion, as effective as where you put the people in the room, but it can happen. Uh, I have had clients who literally could not stomach sitting in the same room together. That did not stop them from coming to an agreement. Because when they're coming to an agreement, they're basically engaging their logic, the logic portions of their brain. They're not engaging or they're coming away from the engagement of the emotional portions of their brain. So the emotion is what said, we hate each other. We don't like each other. We're going we're gonna to yell at each other just to yell at each other. The logic portions and with somebody's help to, to help them engage that part says, okay, regardless of how we feel about each other, what do I, do I want to spend $10,000, dollars $100,000 in fees having somebody tell me what to do? Or am I willing to sit down in a logical manner, just dial this stuff all out so that we're able to find a resolution that we find satisfactory at the end? And I use that word satisfactory because of where parties don't get along. Nobody's going to be happy. You know, that's just a truism. Nobody's going to be happy at the end of a family file, unfortunately, just simply because of all the things they're dealing with. But if they can look back on it and say, I'm satisfied with this resolution, it means that, you know what, that will last. In my opinion, it's, it's something where it lasts because parties are willing to look back on it and say, maybe it wasn't my best result, but it certainly wasn't my worst result. And I'm mm -hmm. happy with, or I'm satisfied with the, with the way mm -hmm. it came out. And that's where you get parties who don't get along. They, even when they can look back on it and say, you know what? I may hate this person. I may dislike this person, even if they don't have kids and don't have to be in each other's lives. I, I may have no more ties to this person, but all things said, okay, you know what? I'm okay with the way this resolved and I can go forward in my life, finding my new normal, finding my new happiness. Well, I want to just kind of take that a bit further from what Heather said, because that, that's certainly like the number one um, Criticism is not the right word, but I guess con that I hear about, that I've heard said about mediation. And, and that is, um, you know, number one, like if, if people are just going to be contrary, then it's not going to work out. But I mean, you could say that about any alternative dispute resolution process. Yes. Um, but the, the next thing would be the result of the mediation. Like what do people come away with? from a mediation. Now I know there's a lot of, there's a lot of different mediators out there. And so each mediator is probably going to be a different type of experience, but for, for you, Jim, what do people walk away from their mediations with you with? So it kind of depends on what it is that they want. Um, if you're and what their issues are. So for example, if parties are dealing with property, then the legislation requires them to sign agreements of some sort with uh, Family Property Act acknowledgements with counsel separate apart from the counsel working for the other spouse. In that case, to actually have a binding agreement, they need a contract signed uh, with their lawyers. Now, I offer the service of being able to draft that, uh, but mostly because I'm also a lawyer and I do these things regularly. Uh, but I also offer a service of doing a mediator's report, uh, saying, and that they would then give to their counsel. Uh, and to put it in context, a mediator's report is usually somewhere, if it's you know not overly effusive, is usually, say, top five pages um, that sets out the terms and stuff like that. And then that's taken to their counsel, and their counsel drafts that into a, to an agreement, and off they go. Um, I, for parties who are just dealing with a parenting issue, as an example, where there's no property, no requirement for independent legal advice, et cetera, they can sign an agreement that is binding coming out of mediation. I also am willing to... And, happy to help them with court pleadings if they if they have an action already started and instead of an agreement they just want a consent order or something like that to be presented in court off we go um it, it kind of tailor the results to whatever they want um simply because in my in my mediation service it, it kind of dovetails a bit with my legal practice and that i have the skills to provide and the education to provide what it is that they need you know and when you look part of the issue that people find and I like the word con because when you said when you said con I, I initially did not think of like con as in pro and con I thought of con as in like this is a complete con right um and so 
one of the one of the big cons that comes out of uh, mediation services sometimes, depending on the type, is that end result. Is hey, is what you're getting as an end product worth the value that you paid into it, or are you just having to double the work? Because some of those end results that I get as not as a mediator but as counsel uh, can sometimes require me to take it all apart and rebuild it right from the ground up, which then is basically, other than the, the back and forth between the parties, is basically paying twice for the same service. It's like, why did, why did you spend, why did this person, the mediator, whomever, the service, whatever it is, spend, you know, 10 hours writing something that I'm now going to have to spend, you know, another five or six hours recreating? Um, so that, that can, when you're looking at the end result, that can definitely be a con, uh, but because of the type of practice I have and what I do regularly in my legal practice, I'm able to, to provide, uh, people with that end result. And as Heather knows, like I'm one of the, I'm one of the people who, uh, has taken part in groups and is active in groups for being good at writing these contracts, mm -hmm. for developing precedents mm -hmm. in these contracts to, to provide. And like Heather and I were part of the same group, uh, of, uh, what was there? Six of us, eight of us. Um, yeah, something like that, depending who, on the day. <laughs> yeah, depending on the day. Who, who developed uh, a precedent contract that we then just gave to Lisa. We gave to the Legal Education Society, uh -huh. Legal Education Society, excuse me, of Alberta, uh, for, for other firms and other lawyers who maybe are using old precedents or aren't experienced enough to develop their own or what have you, to be able to use and, and just have a consistent product. Uh -huh. Lots of mediation services, especially when they're not provided by lawyers. And lawyers don't, you don't have to go to a lawyer to have a good mediator. But lots of mediation services that don't have that sort of help from a lawyer, the product that they're coming out with is, it requires a lot of tailoring and a lot of, of redrafting, which is unfortunate for parties because it's, it's a real extra expense. I try and avoid that as much as I can. And um, to answer your question in a really long-winded way, Evan, uh, is I'm able to tailor whatever their, I, I can tailor whatever their results are, to whatever they want. It's the only thing I can't do is I cannot unequivocally cannot give them any advice on those agreements or anything like that. But I can I can make up whatever it is that they want to have happen. That's no, that's that's exactly what I wanted to know because the um, you know it, those like the result of coming away with a consent order or a fully drafted agreement those are. Uh, Good. Those are good results. Those are things that they can use, and especially in the case of a binding parenting agreement and uh, a consent order, then they're you know that they're good to go. Mm -hmm. from that whereas you know, if it comes from a non-lawyer who who isn't trained in that area, that provides an agreement, and then that comes to Heather's desk, Heather's pulling her hair out. Nine times out of ten, okay. and and has to do what you just said of, of basically redoing the whole thing. Now, I, I had a, a, a follow-on question, which is, um, I it was, I took mediation way back in law school. I thought this will be a great practical course. Most of law school is very theoretic and theoretical, and I, I was like, nah, I'm not. That doesn't excite me. I thought here's a practical class I can sink my teeth into. Um, one of the, it, it was co-taught by a lawyer and a non-lawyer mediator. For whatever reason, the non-lawyer mediator just had serious disdain for lawyers. Mm -hmm. And I'm not, I don't understand why. And, and this person was like teaching a class full of future lawyers, basically like expelling our hate for like the profession we were all joining. And it was like, I didn't understand. I might actually be able to answer that. Believe it or not, as to why, because one of the most, and because Heather, you do mediation as well, so you you can either feel free to agree or disagree with me. Mm -hmm. Is that one of the most difficult things for lawyers who are mediators to do in that mediation room is to shut up and to take off your lawyer hat and to actually be a mediator. That is incredibly hard. We spend years, and especially like Heather, I, I appreciate the introduction as a as a recovering litigator. You know, as we spend years fighting with each other, we spend years 
promoting our clients' positions right. and studying case law and all of this sort of stuff to be able to stand on a firm foundation of knowledge to say, this is what you should be doing. As a mediator, that's not your job. Your job is not to say, this is what you should be doing. Your job is more about how is this going to make things work for you? Mm. What do you want? Why is this important to you so we can develop options? And when you you run into the 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 lawyer who and a lot of a lot of people do run into the lawyers who have some a little bit of mediation training or have have none and just call themselves mediator because we have the basis of our of our training we are we are trying to be uh, facilitators of dispute resolution but when you run into those those types of people as a, as a generality you, you tend to look at them with that disdain with that, okay, you know, a lawyer is going to come in here and just tell you what you both have to do, and that's going to be it. Uh, and then that's not mediation. It can be, it, don't get me wrong, though, it can be useful and can be helpful for people to provide them with some direction. Mm-hmm. But your job at the, at the essence of it is to help facilitate their resolution. It's not about what you think they should do. It's about what they think they should do. With some provisos, of course, as for the legislation. Like one of the ones I always throw out is, hey, we can talk about child support, but there are significant limitations as to what you guys are able to do outside of the legislation. But everything else is up to them. Parenting, up to them. Spell support, up to them. Anything to do with property, up to them. Nobody else will get in their way as long as they're coming to a resolution between themselves. lawyers tend to be very directive when it comes to that. Even in in when you take the mediation trainings, whether it be through uh, Lisa, through Chloe, through Adria, through whomever, and there are lawyers in the room, you can really see the difference in the the types of approaches to it. And that's one of the difficulties, and I had the same difficulty when I started, uh, is is that difficulty of just being quiet and just letting the parties uh, provide and work on their own resolution and then helping them develop that resolution through, you know, good timing and good questions and stuff like that. Yeah, I can see how that could be a challenge because, you know, we learn all about it, we train it, we are, like you say, uh, so I could see now that disdain for, you know, okay, lawyer wearing too much of the lawyer hat coming across maybe as a know-it-all trying to direct what the decisions are more than helping facilitate the process. Is that is that the gist of it? That's the gist of it, yeah. Now, all, all three of you are lawyers, so I'm, I'm wondering from the, the non-lawyer mediator side of things, I've done a little research in the area. Heather and I actually met doing a mediation course, and I learned that there's different qualifications for a mediator. There's you know, various levels and you can level up in, in that space. Mm-hmm. So when you talk a little bit about being a lawyer and, and taking off the legal hat and just being open to listening and, and, you know, letting the process go where it will just naturally go. Do you think that there's a possibility that a non-lawyer arbitra- or non-lawyer mediator might actually be very good in the conversational flow of the mediation, but they just might stink a little bit in terms of drafting the agreement? So I'm trying to wrap my head around, are non-lawyer mediators just garbage at this, or is it just one area of this that they're not very good? And they're not even garbage. So absolutely not. There are some excellent, like, Excellent, beyond words, excellent non-lawyer mediators. Absolutely, without question. And it's not even it's not even that they're they're bad at drafting because I don't know. Every now every now and again, you get something that across my like for independent legal advice across my desk. I'm like, wow, this was drafted by by a non-lawyer. That's that's pretty impressive. Um, quite often, it's because they have a lawyer contact who they got the precedent. But um, no, non-lawyer non-lawyer mediators are are excellent. And let's start with the first the the first premise, though, that there are certain qualifications that have to be met to call yourself a mediator. There are none. That's part of the problem. Mm-hmm. Is that anybody can do it, or anybody says they can do it? Um, there there isn't a, like we have the law society over over our heads. Uh, as a as a financial person, you have a governing body over your head. Psychologists doctors, whomever, they all have governing bodies over their heads. Somebody who wants to just say, hey, I'm, I'm 
you know, uh, I've got my, my bachelor degree in social work or, or whatever, or nothing at all, who says, hey, I'm going to now be a family mediator, uh, can call themselves a mediator. They just don't get to put any letters behind their name is all. And the problem with the letters behind the name, as we all know, is that half the time that's just about whether or not you, you want to take the time to register yourself as something else. Like, for example, uh, as Heather said in my introduction, I'm a practicing mediator or practicing family mediator, whatever it is. I fit the qualifications for everything that the Alberta Family Mediation Society puts out. I just have never gone through the, the rigmarole of, of applying for all of those things and doing all that stuff. Um, but when you're looking at the, the output of those people, it's the resolution output is the agreement between the parties. It's not, it's not the paper. It's not the, that, that can be drafted. Uh, lots of non, and the thing is, is the, the really good uh, non-lawyer mediators, and to be honest, the really good even lawyer mediators, they, they don't overreach. Okay, they don't, uh, a, non, a good non-lawyer mediator doesn't say, hey, I know how to write a contract if they have no idea. Mm-hmm. They say, here's your mediator's report that I'm trained in knowing how to do. Okay, here's a good mediator's report. And so it's fairly point formish, or uh, excuse me, uh, fairly like list-like. And, you know, it's, it's easy to take that. It doesn't take a whole lot of time. It takes a couple of hours, but it doesn't take a whole lot of time, but it's fairly easy for the lawyer to then turn into a contract. Uh-huh. And the parties aren't paying for double the work uh-huh. because the, the, the mediator is not overreaching. Mm. Same with even the lawyer mediator. If you get a lawyer who has, and and well, we can watch Heather and Evan's faces cringe here. If you get a if you get a lawyer who's never done a family file but decides to mediate because of a of a family member or whatever, decides to mediate the resolution. And if they're if they've got their if they're not looking at their colon, let's just say that, um, then they're 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 able to say, look, I'm not practiced in writing these contracts. Okay. Take this, here's what you guys decided. Take this to a family lawyer and have them draft this contract because that will save you time and uh, a lot of money and stuff like that because it has done done once. And that's, I guess, the premise of it is whomever's doing it, whatever the process, the parties find, whether it be a a non-lawyer mediator or a lawyer mediator who, you know, then shuffles the the formalization of it or the formalizing of it in the contract and stuff to somebody else because that's the best way the parties spend their money. What they're premised on is doing it once, doing it right, and getting it done. Yeah. That's that's the important piece is whatever avenue, whether it be through a non-lawyer mediator or whomever, if it's done well, then it's usually done once and it's done right. And then they send that to the next stage. Again, if it's done once and it's done right, you get to move on sort of thing. And you're not having to come back and redo all of this stuff. Where those where those non-lawyer mediators, lawyer mediators who don't know what they're you know getting into fail is in that overreaching. Not, but if there and there, are, there are many people who you know have limited, we'll say, formula education. Form. Oh wow, I'm tripping over my own tongue here. <laughs> limited formal education uh, in terms of mediation and stuff like that. They have some maybe, uh, but they're just really good at helping people connect, and they're they're really empathetic people. They're really able to work on those kind of option gathering things, uh, and to just you know when they're good at it, they're good at it, and uh-huh. you don't require anything extra. Uh-huh. Uh, however. In for me, in my my life, my practice, all that stuff, I'm not the kind of person who likes to step into that realm without having an idea of how this process works, having an idea of what the objectives are, and some sort of. I, I provide my clients with a with a from day one. Here's here's how this steps out. Okay, here's what we're doing from A to B. We do your goals. We get your particulars. We get your issues, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Kind of somewhat in line with collaborative um, so that they have something to hold on to. Because a lot of times people in family law, especially, are, are they're, they're in the middle of a very dark tunnel and they're looking for that light. And to give them something to hold on to, like a process, really gives them that, okay, we can we'll figure this out. Okay, here, we just take it step by step by step. And that's sometimes where the, the mediation services and stuff like that, their, their processes are, are, they need a little tweaking, let's say, mm-hmm. to actually make it work well for the parties. Mm-hmm. 
You know, Jim, I'm really glad you bring that you brought that up because it kind of leads into my next question. Because I know people are people often, at least when I meet them, they're kind of terrified, right? And like a common <laughs> a common comment I get at the end of a consult or after my first meeting with folks is well, you're so nice and I feel so relieved. I was really scared about today's appointment. Um, so I, I bet people come to you feeling, as a mediator, feeling that same way, I'm sure as a lawyer as well. So what does that process look like coming to you for mediation? Like in a, in a concrete way, do you meet with folks individually or together? And, and what do you do with them? So I have an initial phone consult with each person individually is my practice. I prefer not to meet with them both together for the initial contact phase. Okay. And it's just simply because I like to get to know them from their point of view. I'm, okay. I'm careful in my questions and what I ask and where I go from there in order to not get too much of the, you know, he's doing this or she's doing this or, you know, the, the, the positional stuff. It's more about just them getting a sense of what they're in for uh, in terms of process, cost, that sort of stuff. And for me to get a sense of them as well. Um, and then once I have that initial phone consult, consult with both of them, then I, and sometimes to be absolutely honest, sometimes only one person calls me and then they, they're like, yeah, we're good. And we'll set up a, we'll set up a meeting and we have that. And then the next step is that initial meeting where we go through the the mediation participation agreement. Okay. And we talk about the, I have on my agenda, I have this mediation 101 is the first thing. And I take them through it. Here's what I can do. Here's what I can't do. Here's what you're up for. Like, this is the process that we're about to get into. And then, and I give them that agenda for that first meeting, this and this and this and this and this. And then after we've gone through all of that agenda, we set a next couple, I try to set next two meetings just so that we've got uh, some backup dates and stuff like that. Cause I'm sure like you guys, my schedule fills up quite, uh, quite quickly. And my assistant runs my life and she's able to, you know, fill things into my schedule. And if I don't block them out, they're gone. Um, but in that, then I send them away with homework. And in that homework, I send them away getting whatever financials or whatever we need to do. But also to think about what they want to tackle first mm. in terms of the next meeting. Like, do they want to do they want to start with the easiest problem so that we're able to kind of roll through that quickly and then get into the meteor stuff? Or do they want to start with the more difficult stuff, put, mm. put a lot of time into that, and then just kind of smooth sailing through the rest once that's done? Uh, but it, I do tailor it to every, every part because every family is, is different. Right. Uh -huh. Um, but it's, it's a process that to give them that, not, okay, I've got some clarity here. Uh, and to take away, as you were saying, to take away some of that fear yeah. and some of that, some of that, I don't know, like, I don't know what I'm about to get into. I don't know how long this is going to take. I don't know how much it's going to cost, all of those sorts of things. Right. Take away some of that fear as I try and give them as much concrete information as I can or a concrete plan in where uh -huh. we go. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Well, that's really helpful. How about lawyers in the mediation process? I know you kind of refer to uh, people giving, getting, uh, you need ILA on a, on a property agreement, minimum lawyer involved. That's the minimum lawyer involvement there. But what about lawyers throughout the process? Should people be consulting with lawyers first and then going into mediation? Can you get legal advice throughout? Can you bring your lawyer to meetings with you? How does that all look? Yes. <laughs> yes, all of the above. Yes, so yes. All of, actually, all of the above. So okay. you, lots of people, and I, and I'm thankful for all of those wonderful referrals I get. Uh, but and I, I market myself to law firms as well because I, I get a lot of referrals from law firms uh, because people have met with them and they realize that hey, some of the best you know resolution uh, for these parties is met in mediation. So absolutely, having a lawyer at the beginning, having a lawyer through it, uh, somebody you can. Just, I'll go back to what I said earlier, where I cannot give advice. Right? I can't say to somebody, "Hey, this is a great deal, take it," or "This is a terrible deal, don't ever take it." That's not my job. That's your job as the lawyer. My job is to help them find that resolution. Mm. But for them, and but the thing is, is lots of people have questions. And then it's, if they need advice on what they're doing, that's where I actively tell them, say, hey, talk to your lawyer, get advice as to what your, what your best options are here, what their best advice is. The choice is still yours, but you need to make the choice with your head up and your eyes open, having 
all of the advice and information around your rights and responsibilities, mm -hmm. because that's what makes these agreements actually work is the people who enter into them, they know what they're doing. They have advice as to their rights and their responsibilities, et cetera. And they're doing so willingly. And there is no, and this is what I tell clients in the beginning. I want there to be absolutely no moment with your lawyer where you say, I don't know, because that will crater the agreement. And what I mean by that is sometimes when people, and I've had this happen in my legal practice where people have met with me and we've gone through their contract and I've said, do you know what, that this is what this is saying? And they're like, oh no, I had no idea. And as I, okay, that's a problem. Um, so as we go through it, we make sure all of that is covered off. Every piece that we can possibly cover off is covered off so that when they meet with their lawyer, there isn't that I don't know moment that it's the lawyer may say, this is not a good idea. You, you, you know, in you, you're waiving spousal support when you're clearly entitled to it. Uh -huh. And for the person to say, I understand that I understand my rights. I understand your advice, but I'm still willing to do it because that's what my plan is for my better future. That's what that's what makes these agreements last, right? And that's what makes it difficult to reopen a year or two years later if people were angry about the result. You know, hopefully that doesn't happen, but you know, the reality being what it is. Right. Um, so there's also the option of, as you say, the lawyers are required at the end, but in some instances. But there's also the option of lawyer-assisted mediation in the room. <sighs> I tend to, I will not do it if there's only a lawyer on one side. Because one of two things happens, either, unfortunately, just because of my personality, and this is, again, the recovering litigator in me, is as a mediator, I'm not supposed to advocate for anybody. But if there's a self-represented party and a represented party in the room, there's a very good chance I'm going to stand up to the lawyer, that I'm going to try and equalize that imbalance of power, right, which is not fair to the party who's represented because they shouldn't have to have their lawyer advocating with the person who's trying to help them come to a resolution. That's just not fair. And two, the other reason I won't do it is because of cost, um, where one party is bearing a horrendous amount of cost because their lawyer is being paid to be in the room. I'm being paid to be in the room. And it's, you know, it, it's not very effective when there's only one person, because even in the efficacy coming out of it, it's, you know, a, there's a pretty good basis for an argument of, of imbalance of power in the signing of the agreement, right? Mm. Say that, oh, you know, they were represented the whole time. I felt like I couldn't say anything. And I felt like, you know, I just had to agree because the lawyer was telling me all these things, et cetera, et cetera. Um, however, if both parties are represented, I'm happy to have lawyers in the room. Uh, and it, I find it can work very well it, as long as the lawyers understand. Uh, and I'll say this to the lawyers in the room, mm -hmm. as long as the lawyers understand that it's my room. And I make that I make that clear that yeah. I'm happy to have them advocate for their client, but this is a dispute resolution process. Uh -huh. If you think about it this way, the court system at its core, unfortunately, despite all good intentions, is not really a dispute resolution process. It, in my opinion, it puts the dispute off until the next time. Yeah. Right. Most things outside of property, and that's even property that, you know, if there's not a final like a wholesale or something like that, most things are just put off our intro, just right. put off until the next time. And even even trial orders, like, for example, we all all the lawyers and perhaps Kim as well, if you've had any involvement in, in files that had significant parenting, financial issues and stuff like that, like for support and things, um, there's never a final order or agreement when it comes to comes to parenting, uh -huh. when it comes to the best interest of the children. Uh -huh. That means that I've run these, and Heather, you probably have, Evan, you may as well. You know, I've run two or three-day trials on parenting just to come up with a result. I did one that was a five-day trial just on parenting, yeah. and it was that was a long parenting trial. And it came up with a result that I knew if circumstance, if there was a change in circumstances, it was all out the window. So it's, it's not actually a dispute resolution. So mediation, in my opinion, and in my room, is meant to be a dispute resolution process. And that means sometimes for me, having, I, I'm happy to have the lawyers in the room as long as they're there helping facilitate that resolution, as opposed to just trying to put forward positions. Uh, and that's where we get, and you know, I, I, haven't, I have never had a situation where I've had to kick the lawyers out of the room. 
uh, not yet. Um, it's, it's entire, I don't, I don't, I don't negate the possibility. <laughs> we, we all know those lawyers. Come on. Um, I, I may have been one in the past, but, uh, you know, that hasn't happened yet, but you know, it's, it's because most lawyers in my mind, especially good family lawyers do look out for the client's best interests. And that's where it's, it's what's beyond their positions. It's, Hey, I want the house, but why do you want the house? Well, I want the house because I want a stable place for my children. Okay. What does stability mean to your children? Well, it means, you know, having, having a place that they can call home and get used to, or, or be used to, or, you know, hang their, hang their pictures up on the wall and be around their friends and things like that. Well, does that necessarily need, if you, if you can stay in the same area with the same schooling, same activities, same friends, all those sorts of things, and the kids have to then maybe, you know, reinvent themselves a little bit. Does that help fulfill those, those goals and objectives and interests, even if the reality and the practicality of your situation says, Hey, I can't afford to take over this house on my own. Mm -hmm. And if the, and so we look into those and if the lawyers are in the room helping facilitate that, then it's, it, it works really well. However, it comes at a very large cost because for the collectively, let's call it, you know, if, if you look at it at regular legal rates, you're looking at upwards of 700 to $1,000 an hour to be in that room. Right. And that's another reason why I don't, well, this makes me sound like a jerk, but I don't put up with posture because uh, there's, it's too costly for the parties to spend yeah. time arguing just for the sake of argument. That would still be probably a cost savings though than a trial or something yeah. like that sort of thing. Absolutely. What you were just saying, Jim, kind of, I know you said like reaching a satisfactory agreement, right? And like the phrase that came to my mind was an agreement that the parties can live with, but like not in like, I'm going to bear this, but like legitimately they can live with it. Like mm -hmm. they can continue their lives. This can be a working document. They're going to be able to live this agreement moving forward, coming out of mediation. Whereas if you bump those decisions over to the court as I, I think of it as like, they're a decision maker, <laughs> maybe a little less than a, a dispute resolver. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's like you said, it's that revolving door a little bit, right? Because neither one of them are going to be happy with the decision that's made for them. And then they're going to kind of go on and live with something else and decide their own thing anyway. So mm -hmm. interesting. That was a random aside. Evan, did you have something you wanted to say there? Sorry. That's okay, Heather. Usually it's me having to stop myself talking to let you say something. So it's a welcome change. I wandered um, off there. <laughs> I Yeah, I just wanted you to talk a little bit more, Jim, about um, what you mean by interest-based because you, you just finished giving us kind of an example of what that means and you mentioned it at the beginning. And to me, it's, it's such an important concept for anybody going through a divorce that has to deal with any issues. And um, unfortunately, some lawyers don't even are, are very positional instead of thinking about interest. So t talk to us about, uh, give us a primer about interest-based negotiation, the in focus on the interest-based. Okay. Um, so, and this is just purely my point of view on it. And it's through, you know, different classes on trainings and stuff like that. There, we actually, in collaborative family law, you actually have to take an interest-based negotiations training. Um, so to me, interest-based simply means the fulfillment of your base needs and goals. So what is it that actually answers to your interest? What need does this fulfill? What, what are you, and that's why when I walk through the example of the house, or I could give you examples of spousal support or what have you, there's, there's a pretty famous, um, I forget the author, but the book is called getting to getting to yes, getting, yeah, I think it's getting to yes, because there's a getting to maybe as well, um, where they, uh, they give the example of an orange. Okay. So if I have an orange and Evan, you want my orange and you say to me, Jim, give me your orange. I have traditionally three options. I can either say, here, take the orange. I can say, no, go pound sand. I'm keeping my orange. Or I can say, let's chop it in half. You take half and I take half. In these examples, either you're getting everything and I'm getting nothing. I'm getting everything and you're getting nothing. Or we're both getting half of what we want. 
Okay, but by asking the question why and looking into the interests of the parties involved and asking what interest is this orange trying to satisfy? What are you looking to get out of this at its core? And to actually like delve into that. Uh, you get to, you, you may say, look, I, I'm hungry. I, I would like to eat the orange. And in a circumstance, and this happens, it seems like pie in the sky, but it happens more often than not, where I look at it and say, well, I don't actually want to eat the orange. I want to take the, the orange peel and, make, and use the zest for cookies or something like that. In looking at the same situation, and those are my interests to be able to do that, we're satisfying both of our interests with one thing. Where or and you know this is I realize it's a very simplistic example, but it's that whole idea of looking at beyond the position, looking behind it at what. So you say you want spousal support. Why do you want it? What do you need this for in order to satisfy yourself moving forward? What are your interests that are being fulfilled here? Uh, and it, it can and sometimes interests and goals can sometimes be interchangeable. Not always, but sometimes. Uh, and that's where you look into. And if I look into, I literally mean sometimes you really have to ask a lot of questions to help somebody get to that point. Like if you ask somebody, hey, what do you want? And they like, what are your goals? And well, my goal is to have primary parenting of my children. Now, that's always a fun one, right? Is like, okay, why is, why is primary parenting so important to you? What is it about this? What, what needs? And more times than not, coming down to it, their, their interest is I want to have quality time with my children. I want to make sure that my children still recognize me as mom or dad. I want to be there to watch out for them. I want to be there to love them, to protect all of those. Those are the actual interests, not the position of I want primary parent. Right. So then by looking at the interest rather than the position, you start to develop a resolution models around or options around how do we fulfill this? How do we get you what it is at the core of it that you're looking for so that you can be satisfied going forward in the future? Because when somebody says, I'll use this one as an example, when somebody says, I want primary parenting, and if the other person is like, well, I want primary parenting or I want shared parenting. Well, that's a, that. There you find yourself in a bit of a, of a conundrum because that is one of the fundamental pieces that people get really upset about. Mm -hmm. Right? Is is their kids, and so it's okay. How do we develop this? Like I've had I, in in my career, I've had some. I've been fortunate enough to deal with some very, very, very difficult uh, situations, like mobility across countries, uh, like hard parenting questions. Uh, you know, in terms of. Uh, you know, who's going to parent where and how are we going to, like, you know, all those kind of mobility in cross provinces, all sorts of stuff. Mobility tends to be a tough But they, and by mobility, just for any non-lawyer, just means moving with children to different jurisdictions or cities or what have you. Um, but you, you're, you do it by looking beyond just here's what I want. And you do that by focusing on what are their interests, what are their goals, what do they need to have met to feel that, they are actually going forward in a satisfactory manner. And as Heather says, like, uh, I actually uh, like the, the whole thing about the, the, you know, not just something you can live with, but something you can actually decide to find a new normal. Uh, lots of times I'll have people, you know, we, if you take negotiations or mediation or whatever, uh, like uh, actual academic training courses, you tend to learn about the BATNA and the WATNA. Right, okay. your best alternative to a negotiated agreement, and your worst alternative to a negotiated. Agreement. I actually add something in uh, for clients sometimes where it's your worst acceptable alternative period, and I literally mean worst acceptable to where it's okay. I'm going to have to bite down on something to accept this, but this is this is my bottom because anything from that point on, you're actually you're in a place where you're. you're you're able to, to satisfy more than you otherwise would just based on your own ability to, to satisfy yourself with an agreement. And it is very, very like, exceedingly rare in mediation, and I'll throw in collaborative family law here as well, for people to be at that bottom accepted, acceptable level. It is very, very common for it to be well, well above that because in mediation, in any mediative type of, of dispute resolution, people are able to be as creative as they want to be. And that allows them to present their family picture subjectively for themselves in what they see for success now and into the future. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, 
Sorry, go ahead, Kim. Oh, I was going to go off on a whole other thing. So I'll let you summarize what you were going to say. Uh, well, we're, we're getting close to time, so you better go off right now. Okay, so what I'm thinking about is there's a lot of people out there who are thinking about separation, divorce. They're having conversations at home, trying to work through some of their own issues. They're maybe listening to what you have to say and saying, oh, well, this fellow, he's curious. He asked lots of questions. Maybe I can do that with my spouse to work on narrowing down some of our issues. Then they get to the point of being stuck. They realize that they need somebody. And I'm curious if you can give our listeners uh, an idea of why maybe having a third party in that conversation helps solve some of these issues um, versus them just trying to do it themselves. Absolutely. And that does happen a lot. And one of the, and this is where the lawyer mediator comes in a lot, very useful, is a lot of people will contact me and sit down with me from a mediator standpoint in terms of just getting information asking questions about how does this stuff work? Like how does child support work? Stuff like that. There's no advice. It's just information um, for them to be able to answer those questions for themselves. Cause that's a, to be honest, that's a huge cost saving measure. And I actively tell people to do it. Mm -hmm. It's like, if you, if you can step outside of the room and you feel respected, you feel you're both being honest, you feel like you can walk away from the conversation. And what I mean by that is you don't feel stuck in it. And the other person respects you when you say, hey, you know what? I'm not okay with talking about this right now. Can we use it? Can we talk about it again in mediation? As long as there's that safety in that conversation, have it. It will save you thousands of dollars. But you have to do so from an informed perspective, right? And a lot of times where parties are having that conversation at home, they don't know what we know. They don't have the education that we have. They don't have the inside knowledge as to how tax deferred assets work, right? Somebody will say, hey, you take $100,000 in cash and I'll take $100,000 in RSP, not realizing that's not even close to the same amount of money, right? So they don't, but they don't know that they don't know that. Yeah. So that's, and when they, if they go forward on that idea, then they get to the lawyer and the lawyer says, hey, this is how this stuff works. This RRSP at its best is worth, say, 75000 maybe seventy. You know, we got a crystal ball when you're going to take it out. And even if, if you took it out today and you make $100,000 a year and you're taking it, or maybe you make $120,000 a year and you're taking it all out on its own, well, now you're paying a huge piece of marginal tax on it. And they, and suddenly they get that, I don't, oh, I didn't know that. And that's that I don't know moment that then craters the agreement. So where they come to me uh, is, and where legally trained mediators, especially those who have uh, a reasonable amount of experience in the varying issues like this kind of thing that are tangential to family law, uh, and can steer them towards financial professionals, can steer them towards, uh, you know, like proper parenting psychologists, et cetera, those kinds of other professionals who can help. Um, come in really handy is that they're able to give that information. They're able to help them by giving them the information. And then if they choose to do so, they're able to go outside of that room and say, okay, now we know a little bit more. We're able to get over that hurdle. And one of the reasons I find mediation has been so successful and it's not a hundred percent, you know, absolutely not. It, it's not a hundred percent successful people. It's, it's like a, it's like a marriage it or a relationship. It takes two people to join. It takes one person to leave. Mm -hmm. Mediation is the same thing. It's voluntary, even though now uh, it can be ordered by the courts. Uh, and this is actually one of the, I wrote the chapters in this current one on mediation and collaborative family law. And the, the courts can now order these types of dispute resolutions where they weren't able to before, which I'm curious to see how it works out. Because you're taking what is in essence supposed to be a voluntary process. Right. Uh, to have people voluntarily engage in it and making it a requirement. That's, I don't know. We'll see. Who knows? Okay. Um, but it's something where when they come to those hurdles, that arming them with a little bit of information, arming them with so, some of those bright, bright lights in the tunnel kind of moment, uh, help. And a lot of times that exact problem that you're talking about, Kim, happens when people start to realize just how many things they have to go through. And then I always fall back to that old, I don't know if it's an idiom or colloquialism, whatever you call it, of how do you eat an elephant? You do it one bite at a time. 
You take the biggest problem on the planet. I've, I've in my in my career again. I've been I've been very fortunate for for some of the some of the trials I've been a part of. Some of the some of the the resolutions I've been a part of. I've done I've done some files that had absolutely enormous companies that had numbers in them I'd never seen before. Like we're talking nine, 10, 11 digits on a balance sheet. Like I've never seen numbers like that. And but and so that creates a huge, huge logistical like, oh my God, there's so much information in this. Uh-huh. But you just take it piece by piece. You get the right professionals in place, you get the valuations done properly, and you take and you just take it step by step by step by step by step. And at the end, yeah, and this happened, you have a nice round agreement. Okay. And then parties are able to say, you know what? Uh-huh. We're able to move forward. I don't know if that actually answers the question, but well, it, look, the whole thing today has been very uh, informative, I think, Jim. And uh, I, I, to take a little moment on a soapbox here, a brief moment, I, I hope if anyone's listening that is going through a divorce or going through a separation and they're having a hard time working with their ex to kind of figure their way through things, just listen again to what Jim was talking about as far as interest-based negotiating it and get past the position, dig down deeper till you can really find out what is really important to each other. Because especially parenting, which as you said, Jim, is uh, very common that it's that's a tough one for people to, to figure out. Ironically, that's the place most of the time people's interests are aligned because both parties love their children and want what's best for their children. They may disagree about what exactly that looks like, but their interests are completely aligned. Yeah. That's a very uh, good point. Yeah. Anyways, Heather, any last points? Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I, I was just thinking of something you said, Jim, that mediation isn't 100% successful. And um, I guess it just strikes me that not like every family is a complex system and every separation of that family is going to be complex. Um, But don't be afraid to try this just because you think it's complicated because someone um, skilled like Jim can really help walk you through and eat that elephant one bite at a time, I think. So, um, yeah. So the one thing I would say, and for the last thing I would say, that differentiates differentiates mediation and mediative type, like collaborative, whatever, uh, type resolutions from the traditional litigation realm is litigation sells the right to do something or the right to ask for something, okay? Mm-hmm. You have the right regardless of how successful, and I'm, I'm talking like my, I have a background in civil litigation, in family litigation, and all that. Litigation says you have the right to ask for X, whatever it may be, regardless almost of what your chances of success might be, you know, <laughs> providing you're not a vexatious litigant. Um, but, you know, that's, that's what it has as, as its benefit. It says you can ask for anything. Mediation, collaborative family law, any alternative, any negotiative alternative dispute resolution has at its core a resolution of those. It sells a resolution. How do we make this problem go away? How do we solve this? What what interest do we put forward to make sure that you guys are going forward looking at what I call the intangible benefits and costs of your future? And what I mean by this, and I know Evan's got to go, so I'll be quick. Um, what I mean by this is the intangibles are, are those things that you can't put a dollar value to, like a child's graduation, the birth of your first grandchild, their wedding, all of those sorts of things. And this was really impressed upon me a few years ago um, where I was at an event and, you know, I didn't know the people all that well. And the, there were two people there and it was for their, it was, you know, people around uh, like my wife's age were mostly there and these, the, uh, which, and she's in her mid thirties. So a fair bit younger than me, uh, no jokes. Uh, <laughs> but um, you can tell that these two people didn't like each other. And I, you know, it turned out that they were an ex, ex-husband and wife, but they just, their, their dislike of each other just kind of filled the room. And they were there for their child. And it took, uh, it took away from the experience that everybody, had, everybody else had at that banquet um, because 
these two people didn't like each other, but it was supposed to be a focus on, like, in part, because their child was a part of the, the people who were being celebrated. It was supposed to be their day, right? And now take this further up. What if it's the birth of your first grandchild and this is happening or something like like mediation takes into account those intangible benefits of being able to be in the same room together and not ruin the day for your child. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas, unfortunately, just because it's not, it's honestly, I don't think it's even possible. The traditional court system just can't. It just has, it, like you say, they, they try and be the decision maker. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, there's not, they should, in my opinion, they should not be the ones, if everything, if we're being adults in this situation, and especially in parenting and stuff like that, and truly looking out for our children, we should, they should not have to be the people making the decisions. Sometimes they do. Sometimes they have to be. Yeah. But we should, as the parents, we should be the ones making the decisions as to what is in the best interest of our children. And if we can be grown-ups and aligned, just in, in as Evan said, people in, in parenting are often aligned, even when they don't think they are, because they want to look out for their kids. But if they can realize that, then they can often find that resolution. Well said, Jim. Yeah. All right, Heather. Jim, it's been an absolute slice. Thank you so Thank you much for being on. Um, this has been another episode of Access to Justice. Thanks for listening or watching, however you've joined us today. If you have any questions you'd like us to address on the podcast, send an email to access to justice podcast at gmail.com. That's access the number two justice podcast at gmail.com. And we'll do our best to get you an answer on an upcoming episode. Thanks for listening. Any information in this video is general information only and is not, nor is it intended to be, legal advice. Watching this video does not create a lawyer-client relationship. You should always seek the advice of a lawyer or other qualified professional for advice regarding your individual situation. While we take care to ensure that the information contained in this video is accurate and up-to-date, we make no warranties or representations as to the suitability, completeness, or accuracy of the information contained in this video. Any reliance you place on the information is at your own risk. Kahane Law Office, Merrick Law, Heather Malarick Professional Corporation, Evan Clark Professional Corporation, Evan Clark, Heather Malarick, and any guests will not be responsible nor liable in any way for any content, including but not limited to any errors or omissions in the content, or for any loss or damage of any kind incurred as a result of any content communicated in this video, whether by Evan Clark, Heather Malarick, or by a third party. Kim McDonald is a financial advisor with Raymond James Limited. Information provided is not a solicitation, and although obtained from sources considered reliable, is not guaranteed. The view and opinions contained in this media are those of Kim McDonald, not Raymond James Limited. Securities-related products and services are offered through Raymond James Limited, member Canadian Investor Protection Fund. Insurance products and services are offered through Raymond James Financial Planning Limited, which is not a member Canadian Investor Protection Fund. Raymond James advisors are not tax advisors, and we recommend that clients seek independent advice from a professional advisor on tax-related matters. Graceful fingers intertwine, comfort gladden.